coming in a little hot. Coming in a little hot. Now it's very pleasant. You know, microphone discipline and all that. We'll get to all of that, trust me. <laughs> you go by uh, Alex, or is, is one of you Alexander, the other Alex? How does this work here? Thanks, Andrew. I like it already. <laughs> it's just as confusing as you would expect. <laughs> really funny that you guys are having me here for consec because i actually am terrified by consec it's <laughs> oh my god that's exactly what we were to talk about get out are you really cool awesome conversation i'm gonna be brutally honest i mean jonathan's not here today so somebody has to be controversial you know okay good i will definitely i will definitely say things that are probably not socially acceptable for interpreters to say in public as far as what's difficult about consecutive <laughs> So, hello everyone. This is a podcast that keeps interpreters up at night. And this is Alex Gansmeyer coming in hot from Munich. And equally hot coming in from Brussels is Alex Drexel. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hey, Alex. Good to see you. It's definitely hot here in Brussels. And we're expecting the hottest day ever on record in Brussels. So, that's something uh, I guess not to look forward to this week. The hottest day ever on record. That's not great. Well, it was pretty hot in the booth today, but I guess that's normal, right? <laughs> Both so, figuratively um, and literally. <laughs> Absolutely. So Jonathan is not here with us today, so it's only a troublesome Aww. duo because I believe he's putting finishing touches on another book that he might potentially be writing. I we can neither confirm nor deny that, so he'll just have to tell you guys about it next time. Um, yeah, but we are not just the troublesome two today. Alex, who's joining us today? Yeah, we have a very special guest with us tonight, and uh, the first name starts with an A as well, which was not the reason for <laughs> bringing him on the show, but it just so happens, which is nice. Welcome to Andrew Belial, who is joining us from Spokane. Spok oh, no, I'm getting it wrong again. Tell us, what's, what's the correct pronunciation okay, again? Spokane. It's Spokane. Spokane. <laughs> good morning, good evening, wherever the listeners are. It's, it's nice to be here. Thanks, guys, for having me to both Alex's. Yeah, it's, it's great, great having to you have on. You. Yeah, because this was maybe not last minute, but yeah, fairly last minute, I guess. So we, we organized this fairly quickly, which is nice, but that doesn't always happen. So it rarely happens. So thanks, Andrew, for being so. Uh, yeah, of course, thanks. I was very, I was flattered when you guys asked me to come on. This is going to be fun. It already is fun. <laughs> We barely begun. <laughs> That's the That's idea. True. Yeah. Um, and we know um, Andrew from Twitter, basically. Is that right? I think we never met in person. That's right. We never have. I don't think. Not yet. Fingers crossed someday, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. There has to be some kind of ATA conference or something where we're going to meet. I think so. I've met, I've met a couple uh, Twitter interpreters thus far in real life, and it's always been great. It's super cool to connect on Twitter and then, then meet up in person. It's always, it's always really fun. It's kind of surreal, though, isn't it? Like, I always find when you meet someone from online who you know, it's it kind of is. like, oh, you're actually a real person now. It's like you have, it's like this disconnect in, in virtual reality and all this yeah. stuff, reality and virtual reality meet and you feel like it's maybe like an inception sort of situation. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But in That's a good way. Totally in a good yeah, way. In a good way. In a very positive way. It's always been really fun. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this, I mean, this is not really in real life, but at least, you know, it's, it's not just on Twitter. So I think that's, it's a first step, which, which is good. And, um, I think the reason we, we wanted to bring you on the show was that at least from your Twitter feed, Alex and I had the impression that you, um, that you like to do consecutive interpreting. And that brings us straight to today's topic because <laughs> certainly with, <laughs> I mean, certainly with my colleagues in the, in the European Commission, and this, this was the topic of the, of the, uh, one of the recent episodes where we talked about EU interpreting, where we do basically 99 point, yeah, maybe 99% simultaneous. And some colleagues haven't done consecutive in literally decades. Mm. And of course, are then totally afraid of doing it. But even people who are fresh out of university, University. I mean, some of them don't really like consecutive for some reason. So we wanted to explore that a little bit today. That's great. Great topic. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm going to throw the question to you uh, as well, Alex. How, how much consecutive do you do sort of on average? Um, I now do actually more than I used to do because I didn't used to any. And now I do some supervisory board calls they're called pre-alignment calls and obviously because it's only like an hour and a half people don't actually fly in they just you know call in um, with the infamous speaker phone call and whatever and yeah that has to be consecutive because there's no way that they're going to shell out the money for the simultaneous system so i now do those things consecutively it's kind of a mix between consecutive and then whispering to the one guy that i'm doing the consecutive off um mm. but yeah so now i've kind of almost gotten used to it uh, I guess in that very particular context. Yeah, but but I think before we, yeah, I was probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here because I mean, first of all, Andrew, talk to us a little bit about your your background. How did you get into interpreting in the first place, and then we'll talk about consecutive a little bit later. Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's see. How can I is my background? I I wanted to be. I've wanted to be an interpreter for a very long time. I think I was interested in it since my let's say late teens. I didn't know for sure that it's what I wanted to do, but it was always kind of at the forefront of my mind. Um, I had a, a somewhat migratory upbringing um, due to my parents' work. I was, I was born in Japan. Um, we moved back and forth between uh, Japan and the States twice when I was a young kid. I went to a part of elementary school in Japan. We moved back to the States. I was here until I was uh, 17, and then I did an exchange year um, in, in Germany, in the Saarland. Oh, of all places. <laughs> yes, of all places. <laughs> oh my gosh, if we could just do a whole episode about this island, that would be great. Next time. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll put a pin on that for next time, yeah. <laughs> so I was there, and then um, for my last year of high school, essentially, and then I just continued on and um, went to a Welsh university where I, I, I was on with uh, German, Spanish, and French. It was kind of the only university I could find that would let me do three languages balanced because I didn't know that I wanted to study interpreting. I just knew that I was good at languages. I liked them and I wanted to explore as many as possible before sort of hunkering down and picking one career path. And was this Cardiff University? Sorry. This was Bangor University. So in the very north, Cardiff being in the very south and just go straight up to the other tip of Wales. And there I was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and with the program I had, I had the opportunity to do three Erasmus semesters. Um, which sent me to to Vienna, uh, Austria, Granada, Spain, and then I was in um, Lausanne in Switzerland for a semester. I never did interpreting with with French. I just did it as a as a as a foreign language at the Ecole Française Étrangère. But then in Vienna, in Granada, I, I was at the translating and interpreting departments for both of those semesters, and I got a chance to explore and 
basically that was when I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I moved back to the States a little bit later. It was back and forth for a couple years after that. But then I started interpreting full time here in Spokane with medical, just kind of getting some experience. There's a lot of medical uh, here, so you can fill mm. up your schedule, but the, the, the pay doesn't, isn't great. So you kind of want to progress from that. Mm. Um, so uh, let's see how long ago now, a uh, little more than a year ago, I got court certified. I was sworn in by the administrative office of the courts in Washington, started working in local state courts in Washington, state, Idaho state. Then this year I, uh, started subcontracting with the department of justice to interpret in federal immigration courts, which is basically what I do full time now, um, travel around the country. I'm mostly gone about 75, 80% of the time traveling and it's, uh, it's grueling. It's intense. It's uh, very, very interesting. It's a very intense thing to be a part of up close, but uh, pretty rewarding a lot of the time. Sometimes very difficult, very sad, but mm. I guess that's it. That's that's up till now. So That's super interesting though. So like, how did you end up um, interpreting? Because I mean, you did stuff with languages, you did all the Erasmus semesters, you've obviously been all over the globe, but like, how did you end up deciding, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to become an interpreter. And then the path that you went down on like the medical interpreting, because there's also like a, a big step to do initially, you know, it's just, it's not just like, hey, I'm interpreting like how the weather's going to be tomorrow. No, I'm immediately right. going straight into medical interpreting. Well, I, I went into medical interpreting because it was the easiest thing to to sort of jump Get into. With. To, yeah, to dip your yeah. toe into at the beginning. And so I knew when I did my Erasmus semester because I was at the, like I said, the it's the Facultad de Traducción e Interpretación in 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 Spain in Granada, the interpreting department, and then the Centrum für Translationswissenschaft in in Vienna. And when I was at both of those um, departments, I I absolutely knew that that's what I wanted to do once I semesters there. It completely sold me. Um, and since then, I've never had the slightest inkling that I wanted to do something even, you know, even a little bit different than this. Mm. That solidified it for me, and it, that's kind of the progression how it tends to work in the U.S. Of course, it depends on your location. It depends greatly on your location, but mm. it's very easy to start and sort of um, enter the medical interpreting world because you get some experience, see if you like that kind of interpreting, and then a lot of people from there transition into the court world, which is where you can then kind of make a viable income, I guess. It's really interesting because it, it seems, with my very limited experience and only from the German freelance market, it seems to be completely the other way around because um, the whole medical interpreting isn't really a thing yet, I think, in Germany. And Alex, please correct me if I'm sort of <laughs> completely getting things no, no. wrong here. But yeah. um, medical interpreting, I think, for, for sort of the conference segment would be like medical conferences. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, so totally. completely different segment. And then it's it's interesting that you said that actually moving into legal was something that allowed you to make a better living, I guess, which I think, again, is completely the opposite in Germany because legal interpreting is extremely badly paid. And I think it's even worse really? in Austria. And I think they have just read today on I Twitter read that they're articles about that from yeah. the Austrian press and how they're actually even lowering the standards even yes. still, I think, is what I understand. It's pretty yeah. awful, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same in the UK, though, right? I mean, because, you know, with the, with the PSI sector, it's very much under pressure. Um, yeah, uh, health care or help like you know hospital doctor visits right. all those kinds of things they're not really oh my god i'm probably gonna get crucified for this but i'm not sure if they're really professionalized over here i know um there's some remote interpreting going on here like remote like dialogue interpreting so semi-consecutive mm. i guess yeah. um but again that's not 
you know, the right. best paid job in the world because they're sure. pretty much paying you like by the minute or like by the exactly. quarter hour or whatever. I mean, we're paid by the quarter. Of, well, it's one hour minimum for medical. The, the interesting thing is, though, that for Washington is it has a very regulated system for medical interpreting. And um, as part of the, the Medicaid, Medicare, which is the, the you know, the state funded health care, you're entitled to an interpreter through that system. So there's there's actually very good access to healthcare interpreters for people who That's need it. That's awesome. And the hourly pay is actually is actually decent. Of course, it's just getting enough hours and you have to plug your schedule with so right. many appointments that it becomes a little bit impractical in the long run. Yeah. But in Washington, it's, it's, it's actually very impressive how well it's regulated and the standards that are in place to grant that to uh, LEPs, limited English proficiency individuals. So... That's really interesting, I have to say. Mm-hmm. No, but um, yeah, so that's really interesting. But then you transitioned into court interpreting, which is what you yes, do sir. now uh, most of the time. I don't know if that's all you do now, like if it's exclusively what you want to do or is it kind of- I would say now it's about 85, 90% exclusive. I'll occasionally take medical appointments for right. clinics I still appreciate working with. Um, but exclusive, yeah, so you have, so how it works in the States, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, is each state has their own court certification, and then there's a federal level as well. So I worked on the the state certification from Washington. Um, I passed late 2017, was sworn in 2018, and then that opens you know up all these possibilities to interpreting local courts. There's not a lot of that in my in my state, so I was able to kind of do 50-50 between medical and a local court. But then when I started interpreting with the Department of Justice for uh, federal immigration court, that's when I had all of this schedule open up to me where they just have countless hours available because I'm sure it's, I mean, it's in the news every day you hear about the backlog, backlog of 900,000 cases or whatever it is. Mm. So, I mean, if I want to, I could be doing that all day, every day. It's just the question of how long, how much can your, your brain and your spirit take with that kind of stuff. So yeah, I've been doing that. uh, Basically federal immigration courts, I've been doing that about 70% of the time for the past three or four months now. So that's where I'm at. And what does it, um, I mean, what, what does it look like, a typical case, I guess, in federal immigration court? Is it people sort of applying for asylum or what, what kind of cases do you work in at for? Yeah, good question. Um, so I mostly work in detained settings, which could look like either a, a traditional courtroom with a judge behind a bench. And in, in those situations, if it's a traditional courtroom, they give us simultaneous equipment Um where we have the the mic and then the respondent, the the Spanish speaker sit, you know, at a at a desk a little ways in front of you, usually about twenty feet in front of you. Um, in the detained settings, they're mostly all asylum cases or potential asylum cases, and it's either them coming for a short hearing before the judge, where they kind of have a status update, um, and the judge will have to hear dozens of those every single day, or there's what's called uh, a merits hearing, which is basically like a mini immigration trial for somebody seeking asylum or cases similar to asylum, hmm. where they have their case before a judge and they may have a lawyer with them or they may not and those can last anywhere from an hour if it's a simple case or they can sometimes last all day or multiple days i've been at ones that have been continued over three different days just because of how complex they are right. so that's where the consecutive comes into play that's where about at least 50 percent of it is consecutive because you're doing uh respondent testimony witness testimony before the court um for that entire hearing. So that's what it looks like. And in the detained hearing, it's people who are there in the facility. So they're not, you know, traveling to make the appointment. They're actually already there and they're just brought to the courtroom. So if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. It, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with the consecutive that you do in court, I mean, um, 
we've seen your notes on Twitter. I'm, and if our audience hasn't, I'm sure they're going to be looking it up like in just a moment. I, you kind of have like a little bit of a reputation now on Twitter for having extraordinarily right. ridiculously right. clean notes. And it's, it's like, mm -hmm. seriously, dude, like, what are you doing with your notes? Are you just making them up for Twitter or is this really okay, how you well, take first, notes? Okay, well, first, let me defend myself. Go ahead. I, I look because, okay, so first Alex G sent me uh, an email earlier for people who are listening and said, hey, can we use this picture of yes. your notes for everybody? And I looked at it and these, these were the ones that, that Alex G is referencing. And I looked at them and I was like, Holy smokes, those are very neat. And I, so for disclaimer, I swear on my life those are actual notes from an actual appointment. They are not replicated notes. But to be fair, <laughs> most, no, most notes you have on Twitter, so there was like a plethora to choose from, and most look like this. I just picked it because you could see the iPad, which we're going to get into. So here, here's the thing. Most, some of my notes do look like that. Some of them, depending on the hearing type, do not look like that. So a lot of the time, if I'm interpreting... and It's because of the difference in concepts. If I'm doing consecutive for an English speaker, um, say at the public defender's office or for a judge or something like that, the the information is a lot more predictable and a lot mm. more repetitive. So it's much easier to make consecutive notes out of it. If I were to show you, and maybe after this, I'm going to show you a tweet, <laughs> my, like abysmal notes that just look like an absolute just hot mess pile of garbage. Time, if I'm doing consec for uh, a Spanish speaker in, in an immigration hearing, The stories are all over the place and absolutely unpredictable with names, with terms, with places that I've never heard in my life. So you have to kind of establish the players in the story before you can um, have a neat consecutive. So a lot of the time, I would say at least 50% of the time, my notes look like a heaping pile of garbage <laughs> that are just absolutely illegible. Um, so I didn't mean to be deceptive by putting on just my prettiest notes because sometimes they do look like that, but sometimes they don't. So I just wanted to put that out there. So there's no, you know, nobody has the wrong impression here. It kind of feels like there should be an Instagram account with just the most beautiful, you know, contact notes <laughs> neatly arranged on a table with a coffee cup. <laughs> called, like or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Cons consecutive porn. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh my god, that would be awesome. Before we get into the note-taking, I was just um, wondering real quick if you could describe to us sort of what the situation looks like when you're in court, for example. Um, you know, where do you sit and, and uh, what's what's sort of your um, location? Do you have a, li a little a desk or something? What, what's, what does it look like? Yes, great question. So two different situations. If it's a traditional courtroom, I have a desk next to the judge at the front of the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have the microphone, then the, the Spanish speaker has his headset. So we can do um, we can do whispered simultaneous when necessary. And then I have a mic in front of me for consec. So when it's consec, it's delivered for the whole courtroom. Um, that probably is about 50% of the time that I'm in a traditional courtroom like that. The rest of the time, I'm in detained facilities where the judges are appearing over video, which is called BTC. And in those situations, wow. I'm doing whisper, interpreting the whole time and sitting right next to the Spanish speaker, the respondent. Um, so it's very up close and personal. Um, and because of the, the sound, how the sound is set up with the VTC, I have to whisper so it doesn't interfere with the the recording over the video or the judges. And so the judge uh, can hear the government attorney, but it's not interfered with by him, by him, by the, him or her hearing my interpretation into Spanish. So mm -hmm. it's one of those two situations for the most part. But is it, it's, it seems quite impractical to say the least, if you have to hold the microphone or is it just when you sort of give your rendition of what was being said? 
so the microphone that's placed in front of us is is one of those. I'm not sure what the technical name for it. It just sits in front of me, so I don't have to hold or touch. Oh, anything. good. Okay, yeah. Because sometimes that happens that you that you have to hold yes. like a wireless mic, and that's extremely annoying because it's one less hand <laughs> that you can use. Yes. No, no luckily not. Yeah, that would be that would be really cumbersome, and as difficult as you know the the conditions are a little rough in immigration court, so that would just be an, another added exactly uh, difficult. But luckily, the, the traditional courtrooms are well-equipped. Okay, cool. But maybe let's talk about symbols for a minute, because it sounds like what, what you said earlier is that um, with, with the sort of fixed roles that there are in the courtroom, it sounded to me like you have a pretty decent glossary, quote-unquote glossary, of symbols available. Is, is that what you were referring to? Yeah, so as far as you mean my personal symbols that I use for consec? Yes, so I've definitely developed uh, in the past four months for immigration court specifically some some pretty specific symbols of stuff that comes up. But I think they're probably, you know, ones that a lot of interpreters would recognize. Like I have some abbreviations for, for court terms, like a, a Greek pie for for the government attorney, for prosecutor. And then I have... Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I have a J for judge and things like that. But then with the with the consecutive for the Spanish speakers, when they're telling their stories for the asylum cases, I have a lot of ones relating to to country and house and business and church and, right. uh, and children and ones like that, because those come into play a lot. A lot of, I guess, what you would call, you know, words for the family or, you know, terminology relating to mm -hmm. to the towns the villages they come from so i have a lot of those in place and a lot of them are just you know very simple like a, a box for a country right and then if it's a it's a box with a dot inside or if it's um if it's a house it's a box with a roof if it's a church it's a box with a cross on top little things like that um and then you know arrows for direction like i was leaving my house an arrow out of the box i was going to my house an arrow into the box <laughs> yeah things like that really help and um the other thing that i i try to do but you really have to um basically find out who the players in the story are before you can use this system is but when i have all the players for so say example um the police the gang members the uh vigilantes the spanish speaker and the respond the spanish speaker's mother-in-law or whatever the case is i make a column on the left with each of those individual players mm -hmm. and then the column on the right is for the actions that each of those players perform so no longer right. have to write the subject for each action rather the verb in the column that works sometimes sometimes the story is all over the place that it renders that option impractical yes. but that's also a tactic if the story permits but that's very interesting because i was just i just had to smile when you said like you know the box and then the box with the dot and all those kinds of things because that's exactly right. how we learned it. and i'm like oh this is yeah. universal so this is really this is really cool that it actually works um you know wherever you are wherever you go I think I picked some of those up in in in, in Spain and in Austria as well. So some of it I don't I don't remember if I picked it up from from my semesters at the interpreting departments or if they're my own. Right. It's all a little fuzzy now, but I think a lot of other interpreters <laughs> those same systems because I mean the arrows and the direction that's so practical, especially of these respondent stories, the Spanish speakers, their stories are so spatial. So all of that is very you know can be very very practical. Yeah, 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 and I guess that they all they always kind of involve a journey of some sort, so that would also make yes. a lot of sense, you know. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be um, working where you are working. But it's interesting when you refer to the the players in the story because we learned that at university, you know, to do like the little line on the left hand side, and then have like the people right. and the personal pronouns to make sure that you actually always know who the actors are in the story. And I 
Never did that. I always hated it. I did it in my consecutive exams because the teachers would like look at the notes and stuff and I didn't want to piss them off. But um, <laughs> I've always hated it. I always found it very impractical and kind of pointless. So I kind of stopped it. But I find it very interesting that you who uses it on a regular basis are referring back to that method to keep track of, of the, the intricacies of the story. So that, that tells me maybe I should not have stopped using that. Huh. That's interesting. Well, I think it's probably very dependent on your your market, right? And what kind of interpreting you're working in. Because I remember when I was doing state courts, there weren't a lot of cases where it was really practical because the the stories would be much less spatial, much much you know much fewer players sometimes. So it kind of depends. There are times when I, I don't use that, and I remember when I learned it in a, a court course I did. I was like, this seems very impractical and very difficult to implement. But then I found that actually sometimes it it works wonders depending on how detailed and convoluted the story somebody, you know, you're consecutively interpreting is. But then I have a really, this might be going into too much detail, but I, I just have a really practical question. So, you know, if you do it on a notepad, you flip the page, the people on the left-hand side are gone. So what do you do then? Like, do you just draw like the little symbols on the new page and then you refer to them with arrows or like, how does that work? Or on the iPad, like, do you scroll up and down? Like, yeah. So this is where the, this is where the iPad I think is probably helpful. So when I have when I have my different uh, columns with the different players, usually by the time I if I've been interpreting long enough to go through one page and we still have the same players, I've memorized the columns for the players. Got it. And if if I if I need to refer back up to it, it's a very easy flick of the finger to scroll, and I don't have to rifle through pages, which is that's just one of the things that I can't even fathom doing anymore. Having a notebook in front of me right. that's, that I have to flip through physical pages for. I. I did just have like one more question on the on the terminology on like your symbols because I'm mm -hmm. imagining I mean obviously you do like the J for the judge and then the little pie symbol which for me means something very different different so that's really funny yeah for me but, too um, <laughs> I'm, yeah I'm, I'm guessing for you it means politics as well because yes politics and then like politician <laughs> and so on and so forth yeah but so I'm guessing in court it's also sometimes very emotional and I guess mm -hmm. I actually I actually don't know if it's important or not to um, cut to the judge. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on like how they're judging the situation. I don't actually know. This is getting controversial yeah. now. I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> so, but that's kind of the question. Like, do you translate or do you interpret all of the emotions? Do you have like your own little like quote unquote notes terminology for like emotional terminology that might come back and forth? Or do you just... You mean as far as it conveying the emotion in your rendition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly sure. it. So as, as when it comes to consec, I, I don't think that comes into play for my notes precisely, but it does play a big role in the consecutive interpretation in and of itself, because if somebody is very emotional in, in what they're talking about, then I am there to faithfully convey a message. And if my voice, if my expression, if my tone is completely devoid of emotion, how faithfully am I conveying a message? And this is this is my opinion. Right. You'll talk to a hundred different interpreters and get a hundred different answers, right? But so, of course, sometimes uh, testimonies will get very emotional and their tears and their pauses so people can can compose themselves. And of course, I am not in, in no way completely replicating the, the emotion they're showing. But I do consider it my responsibility to, in some manner, in my rendition, replicate that emotion to faithfully convey a message. Because if the if the judge can't hear the urgency that's conveyed in somebody's voice, I would consider that I'm not doing my job correctly. Right, right. I agree. So there we go. I mean, there, there have been a lot of situations where I've had to, you know, take a deep breath and make sure that 
the the Spanish speaker's emotion isn't affecting me too much such that I can't, you know, maintain my composure, that I can't be professional, because of course, those two can be held hand in hand. You can relay emotion, but still have composure and be professional. Yes. So I want to keep those two side by side. But sometimes with how rough the stories get, I mean, we're talking about gang violence, human trafficking, stuff like yeah. that. It can get pretty intense and you have to remember, or I have to remember to just take a deep breath and, and I guess, you know, bowl forward mm. as much as possible because it can get rough. Right. This is on a complete side note, but like on that, on that, that, that probably warrants a whole different episode, but um <laughs> It just occurs to me that I've never really thought about what is more emotionally like investing um, consecutive or simultaneous interpreting because when you're doing simultaneous, I think it's probably easier to affect the other people, the other person's emotion, like the mm. emotion. Um, but you don't have that much time to process with consecutive, like you get the full story that affects them right. so deeply and then you have to like watch them as well as they're yeah, telling right. it and then you have to relay it. So you get the full impression and the full brunt of the emotion, but then on the flip side, you have more time to process it and kind of filter out what you want to convey. So that has just occurred to me, and I find that uh, a very definitely interesting. One of my favorite <laughs> things to simultaneously interpret uh, for the Spanish speakers is when they have an attorney, and at the end of their uh, immigration trial, a lot of the times the attorney will give a closing argument, right? Kind of a plea to the judge right. about whatever the case is, and sometimes they're very impassioned, depending on the lawyer they have. And sometimes those are really, uh, they're, they're very charged and they're very exciting to interpret because of the kind of the, the speed and the emotion they're trying to convey. And I love doing that simultaneously because you're just that lag behind, but you can feel that kind of charge, the electricity in yeah. the air and being able to be one step behind that for the, the Spanish speaker while they're getting to follow along. For me, that's, that's very exciting. Um, that's one of my th the things I love too. But with the consecutive, it may be a little bit because the emotion right. is like one step behind when you're doing it there, but it's definitely still uh, something that you have to hold on to in your ambition to make it faithful, in my opinion. I think so too. Well, Alex, you do a lot of uh, consecutive interpreting as well, but for you, I'm guessing the situation is a lot less emotional at times and it's much more <laughs> like formal and a lot more like, well, well I guess in court, it's also structured, but then for you, it's um, formalized in a way, right? right? Alex, D, what does consecutive look like for you on a daily basis or weekly basis? I'm curious. Um, actually, before we go into that, I had um, I had a question for you, Andrew, um, in terms of sort of your uh, consecutive or no taking rather no taking technique. How much yes. how much did you pick up at the various universities and courses you attended, and how much did you sort of develop yourself mm. along the way, or how much did you pick up from from colleagues? Because I know that um, certainly as students we were always obsessed with you know learning symbols by heart, and uh, that was also somehow encouraged, for example. But I also remember that we got a lot of sort of practical tips yes. for how to structure notes. So I'm wondering, um, did did you have sort of a, a maybe not a complete right. but a good toolkit when you was started or, or did you did you have to learn a lot on the job basically that's a great question that is a good question i i think it maybe was about 50 50 so i had a lot of tools i had some tools under my belt but i was so i was uh have been and continue to be terrified by consecutive <laughs> <laughs> that's I, a little I, confession right there the scariest thing that that i do on a daily basis and um so I had to develop a lot for myself. I think what I had from, from university and from the interpreting departments were a lot of useful symbols and a lot of um, maybe of like the philosophy of consecutive of getting down ideas rather than, you know, individual words or things like that. That really helped me to understand kind of the idea by consecutive. 
But the struggle for me is when I really uh, succeed in consecutive is when I know material like the back of my hand. So there's a lot of uh, theory that you can pump into, in my opinion, in teaching consecutive, but it remains theory until the interpreter learns, uh, becomes really intimately familiar with the terminology in a specific, in any given context. Right. Because I can do really, really longhand consecutive for medical settings because I am so familiar with the content mm -hmm. in hospitals and clinics and whatever the case may be. But when I first got to court, I had to keep my consecutive really, really short because I was so unfamiliar with the vocabulary that might come up. But now as I get more and more comfortable, it becomes longer and longer. And I can, I've developed my own systems because I, I can anticipate the vocabulary that's going to show up. But to answer, I mean, in summary, it's been about 50, 50. I had a good basis, but I had to work on it a lot myself because I mean, it's just, it's, it's because I think it's so out there. It's like this open <laughs> naked thing, just sitting yeah. in front of your audience that mm. And I mean, in immigration court, especially there's, there's, it's a very easy place to sort of, we call it couch quarterbacking, right? Where you can just be the referee without right. actually being involved in the game, right? And there are, I lots love of that. there are lots of violations and they can, they can hear mistakes you make. And even if they catch your mistake, that doesn't mean jack squat about how well they would render a rendition because sure. they would probably bung it up even more. Yeah. But it's just the nerves of having that out there. And I mean, that to me is absolutely terrifying. But um, the the becoming familiar with the vocab and also having a good note system and also having it uh, paperless for me makes it so much easier and makes my the quality of my rendition and my consecutive increase many fold. I think mm. I find that I find that very intriguing to think about that you know how the consecutive technique. Uh, evolves over time, and I'm I'm not sure if I misunderstood, but you said that um, it's getting longer because I um, the impression for me, at least in my consecutive practice, is that I sort of tend to note less and less over time because, of course, you you get more used to the scenarios that you work in, which is something that you've oh. just mentioned, but also right. you know you can anticipate more and um, yeah, I think you, you over time you just need to note down less and less. So yeah, did I maybe I just misunderstand? I, I think I meant that. Um I'm able to take notes for a longer amount of time oh, and deliver like a longer consecutive rendition. Whether or not I'm taking more notes, I mean, I guess it depends on the individual. Totally. But before I would have to keep in, in witness testimony in court, I would have to keep it pretty tight mm. because I was so unfamiliar with what might come up. But now I can I can let them go for quite a long amount of time and be taking my, my notes and then that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, but Alex G was asking about my sort of consecutive practice, which is a little bit different because I work mostly in sort of in the political realm, but also to some extent in the technical realm. And um, actually, I think upon upon closer examination, much of the concept that I do is probably closer to sort of whispered interpreting or shushotage, as we call it, because very often there are just these sort of time constraints and, you know, people get very impatient and um, just feel, I mean, the language combination also plays a role because I work with English and German um, both ways. And of course, a lot of people in Germany understand English pretty well, but maybe they don't quite feel comfortable speaking English. So oftentimes you'll find yourself working into just one direction or maybe just yes. summarizing stuff yep. briefly into yep. uh, into the direction of German. So that plays Playing a role. a walking dictionary. Yeah. Like, oh, exactly. I got everything except for that one word. What was or that you, again? Or you like, just sit there and, you know, you, you've kind of tuned out because they don't need you. And then they'll ask you for this, for this super technical term. <laughs> 
half ball and half offense my nightmare. Yeah. Those are funnily enough the most exhausting jobs when you just kind of sit there and you have to like you you don't actually take notes, you don't actually like focus all that much because they the absolute worst. they yeah. don't need you and then it's, it's just hard like, to oh. 50% engage your brain. It's like yeah. the whole is is fine but it's that in between where it just drives me nuts. Yeah. Totally. But the totally. the thing is you you always work alone, right? Because I very often work with a second colleague and we'll we'll be able to take turns, but it seems not to be the case with you. Not in immigration court, and that's one of the that's one of the roughest things. They they don't pay for team interpreting in local state courts. They always do for if an appointment's longer than two hours, always team interpreted. But I am in the court. Oh, wow. I am in the courtroom eight hours a day by myself, and it is not how it should be. And I know I know there have been so many studies done about you know quality of of interpretation after x amount of time of an interpreter going by themselves but yeah it's just one of the unfortunate uh, conditions that exist in immigration court and a lot of people are you know fighting for it and trying to trying to get that change but that's that's just how it is right now yeah it's funny i've never i've only ever once had a two-person consecutive job And I was amazed at how well it worked. I mean, it was kind of like a, no, because I'd never had it. And it, we were kind of thrown into the deep end because we were supposed to do whispered interpreting. But then one of the, one of the persons missed their flight. And then, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden it was like, hey, you have to do this consecutive. They're just going to dial in from Heathrow. And we were mm -hmm. like, great, oh. this is fun. Yeah. Um, but it worked amazingly well. And it was also with lawyers. And they kind of did that lawyery thing that interpreters love when they blame um how things are not really going their way on the interpreter. And they were like, no, 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 we didn't say that. And then you can actually look at your colleague's notes, who's also taking notes, and you're like, right. well, we've both written this, this down independently, so I'm pretty right. sure this is actually what you said. But it's, obviously nice you don't have, it's nice to have the but support it's, it's, in a good, team. I mean, it makes, it makes the world... Yeah, team. it's really good for yeah, your mental health. Just psychologically <laughs> of knowing somebody's there to help you out if you're in a rough spot. I yeah. Mean, that makes a world of difference. And it really worked re very well because we were both sitting there. And I mean, you don't really get a break. Luckily, it was only a two and a half hour appointment, but we were always both continuously taking breaks. And then I think we switched about like every 10 to 15 minutes in terms of who was actually doing the speaking. But mm. you always see when the other person didn't catch a word or like didn't understand what the other speaker was saying. Right. And then you can always like point at your notes when they're doing when they're like get to that particular part in the, in the passage. Mm. And it's completely seamless. And I was really astonished at yeah. at the system it works like the system works it does yeah, yeah it's pretty cool yeah it was pretty cool it makes a world of difference it really does yeah but um i mean we've already started talking about issues with consecutive interpreting and like how people love it some people hate it <laughs> most people hate it <laughs> it's probably safe to assume yeah right. um i we actually wanted to talk about the technology first but maybe we can use that as like a kind of a closing um argument what do you guys think and we because we've already started yeah. talking about like the issues and you know what the challenges yeah, let's maybe are stick with the issues yeah yeah because so andrew you were saying that one of the big things is that you're being exposed and you have the what did you call it the couch quarterbacks yeah couch couch quarterbacking right yeah. the bilingual judges or bilingual lawyers who just hear everything that's out but they hear both the original and then your rendition mm. absolutely of course people want to have opinions Yeah, yeah. So does it ever happen in court? Because it's happened to me once or twice. And it's happened. I know it's happened to a colleague of mine a few times that people call you out from the audience or in your case, obviously from uh, inside the court. That's mm -hmm. wrong. That's not what they said. That's right. not that word. And then you kind of sit there and you're like, you know, your, your entire credibility as the interpreter, in, which in that situation is crucial. Devast 
it's yeah. the other person does it's like standing there with your pants down basically you're saying so this is all that you're they're relying yeah. on exactly yeah. Yeah. and especially well, if that's what they mm-hmm. said it's even worse because in the other party that you're interpreting for they start doubting you mm-hmm. you probably start doubting yourself for a second and then you're like no i'm pretty sure <laughs> that's what they said this is makes yeah. the this worst. is what makes sense yeah. this is the only thing that makes sense but then yeah. i don't know does this ever happen in court it, it definitely does happen um so there have been both situations where uh, somebody objected to an interpretation or corrected or spoke up and it wasn't correct. I definitely felt that my rendition was accurate. But then right. it's also happened where I made a mistake because, you know, when somebody's going seven hours by themselves, but things yes. start to get rough and, yeah. uh, you know, things are going to get uh, a little bit lost. So there, there have been times where I've had to say the interpreter stands corrected. Thank you, counsel, for, for the correction. And there's sometimes where it happens in, in quite a supportive environment where there will be maybe a bilingual government attorney. And then mm-hmm. the, the government attorney will make a little a little note at me and then I'll, I'll be able to realize that I said right. something incorrectly and, and correct myself. Sometimes it happens in a more adversarial context where, for example, if the Spanish speaker's uh, lawyer uh, Here's a mistake. A lot of the time they're, you know, they're defending their client. They want everything to be perfectly rendered for the record and things like that. And they will get a little bit testy if they didn't like some way something was interpreted. And sometimes the way they didn't things like is not founded. Sometimes it's like, okay, yeah, the interpreter misspoke. So both happen. And no matter which one it is, whether I stand by my interpretation or whether I need to stand corrected, it's just, it's just gut wrenching because yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Alex, you said it's like standing there with your, with your pants down, you're exposed to the whole world and you know, your credibility, even if you were right, it, it, it's, it's like an attack against your credibility and you feel like you, you messed it up whether or not you really did. So that's one of the reasons why I think consecutive is so, is so terrifying because one little thing that you get wrong and everybody knows. And si- simultaneous you won't get one exactly. little thing everybody's time to, yeah, yeah. to pick up on it and notice and simultaneous to me is like my little like my spa day my little safe haven <laughs> spa day <laughs> my oh spa my god <laughs> but awesome. then it's just all out there in the open which I, I i think it's 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 psychological right so i think once you overcome that psychological barrier it does become a lot easier but for me, I had to get into, I had to basically habituate until that psychological, that psychological barrier was overcome. And it's become a lot better since, but at the beginning, it was rough just because of how nervous I was. Yeah, right. true. Uh, you just uh, mentioned on the record there. So um, is it part of the job that you sometimes get recorded sort of via audio or that you have to hand in your notes? Or do you have to sort of destroy your notes before you leave the courthouse? Is there anything like that involved as well? Sure. So as far as the recordings go in immigration court, um, everything is recorded all the time in state court. As far as I understand, it's, it's not. So my rendition, uh, is, is never on the record, but in immigration okay. court, it is, uh, I have never been instructed, uh, as to destroying my notes. And I think it's probably most because people just don't know enough about, uh, the interpreter's work to, to say something or to really give us any direction as to what to do for that. But I usually do erase, I, I do destroy the ones that have uh, personal information in them after I make a glossary with any relevant vocab that came up during the hearing. So that, that is my practice. I don't know what most other interpreters do because I, the only one I know here in person or that I've ever met 
on the ground who uses an iPad to do that. So everybody else, you know, presumably just has closets full. <laughs> I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if they're not destroying their notes, um, I know there's some, some laws in certain States about keeping records for businesses and some interpreters think that their notes supply for that. So yeah, it's very location dependent, I think, and interpreter dependent. Sure, sure. But you know, it's actually very controversial, especially after I the whole Trump incident with North Korea and the interpreter and the notes. So, Alex, you're right on the money. And I think actually for you, Andrew, I would kind of get if they took your notes because, you know, it might be vital. They might have missed like a, a thing. But then, Alex, for you, that's the exact situation that that interpreter in North Korea was in. Like, have you ever been asked to provide your notes or have people ever given you any uh, pun intended notes on your notes as to what to do uh-huh. with them and you know especially because you also take them on an ipad so the, there's a a potential risk that you might be recording something as well you know with the technology yeah. and so like what what do people say it's actually do they care it's no <laughs> okay fair enough. i don't think I've, I've ever had one situation where anybody cared about the, the notes or was sort of even remotely interested in that or, or asked me to uh, either destroy it or delete it uh, afterwards. I mean, I usually do it myself because, you know, I, I want to make sure that nothing, you know. And and to be honest, I don't really get to work at meetings that are that sensitive. I mean, it's it's fairly high level. Sometimes I work for, for commissioners and, and sort of ministers from Germany or from Austria, but um, usually those are technical discussions and there isn't... I mean, usually the most interesting bit is the chit-chat that you don't interpret anyway. <laughs> When you know when they have yeah. that when they have that photo opportunity before they get started and that, that kind of um, uh, that kind of stuff, but um, no, usually I, I'm the one who makes sure that uh, you know stuff gets thrown away or or deleted. Yeah, I feel like we should probably move on to the to the iPad stuff. Um, wait, I mean, we wait, could we no, could talk wait, for wait, three hours. I, yeah, but oh. we'll, okay. No, if, wait. How long is the recording already? If you have, oh, it is. We're good. We're only at an hour. I'm, like, oh, I'm okay on time. If you guys are, I just have to. I have about an hour before I need to make my way to court. Okay. Yeah, we just have to make sure the episode. Wait, are I thought not it was two a day off. <laughs> it is, but I I got called. It. It's just a quick thing. I just have to go for like an hour. <laughs> just like three hours solo. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> be, I love it. And I'm having a glass of wine before, so my interpretation will be extra quality. It'll be super fluid, yeah. Yeah, the most. <laughs> the best fluid. we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, okay, Alex. No, no, okay, no, I get it. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because we could talk about. Bring on your no. Bring on your question, and then we'll move on to the iPad stuff. No, happening. it was just um. I don't even know. If it was a question. It was kind of like more. More of a comment, really. No, it that wasn't was really more of a comment. It was, it was more of like a philosophical discourse. Because I'm wondering, like, Ooh. where you guys draw the line. I'm guessing in your situations, it doesn't really come up that often. Maybe Andrew in yours it does. Um, where, like, what, what for you makes consecutive interpreting and what makes dialogue interpreting? Because okay. I've been in situations where it's been like a dialogue between people, but then like one person talked for five minutes and then the other person replied for three. And they were just, you know, like that's consecutive but then it's not the taught case where you deliver a speech or whatever right so i that kind of consecutive where it's sort of delivering a speech like you see in a lot of like they teach you in you know in interpreting departments i don't i don't really do that Hmm. so you know where you're going on for minutes at a time um it's much shorter i mean the the longest i would probably ever let somebody speak depending on what the content is is a minute perhaps. And the mm. thing is most, most judges do not trust the interpreter to let the Spanish speaker keep going for so long. So I try to stop 
the Spanish speaker before the judge does, because the judge doesn't speak Spanish, so don't doesn't know at what point they're cutting off the Spanish speaker. But I right. do, so I try to control that. Um, but for certain things uh, that the Spanish speakers are saying, sometimes I can let them go for a while. But mm. I mean, maybe it would be defined as dialogue interpreting based on on how you're describing it. But it's um, it's a lot of back and forth. So it's the judge asks a question. The Spanish speaker answers. So question answered. Sometimes the answers are very long. Sometimes it's a yes or no. It totally depends. So I qualify that as consecutive. I don't know if I've been a better, better in a situation where I'm like, this is dialogue interpreting. I guess it depends on how you see that. I'm not quite sure what to envision when you say dialogue. Well, what's the what's the difference really? <laughs> I mean, I'm not really sure. No, that's the question because, like in in, I mean, a traditional concept is like when you have a dinner speech. I mean, that's because right, there's no dialogue exactly. involved. But I mean, I yes. rarely ever do that. I mean, that's something we Absolutely, did at university. That's my point. But, I mean, yeah. I've, I've done that a few times. You know, like a press conference here or like those pre-alignment calls that I mentioned at the very beginning. They're always completely one-directional. Mm. Um, but most of the consecutive or whatever you want to call it that I've done throughout my career was dia was a dialogue between people. So there was a question and an answer or a presentation and an answer to that presentation. So that's why I've always wondered for, for me, consecutive is kind of like everything where you take notes and then there's like shades of that. You know, there's like the dinner speech, there's a press conference, there's, I don't know, a round table discussion or whatever. Right. But for me, that kind of all falls under the consecutive umbrella. I don't know if that's yeah. the. But dialogue, I, dialogue could be like whispered too. That that's a dialogue as well. Be, so yes. that and you don't necessarily take notes then. So yeah, it's a bit of a philosophical discussion. But yeah, that's why I meant sure. it. It was it wasn't really a question, but it also wasn't really a comment. <laughs> More of an unsecretor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. ruminating, ruminating, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, no offense. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness right but if you want to guys we can move on to the technical stuff because oh yeah all, let's um, let's do some yes, geeking out let's nerd out let's get our nerd on <laughs> <laughs> i actually don't really know if it's going to be a lot of a discussion because we're both working with the same setup so that's that's true that's, that's not going to be a very fruitful discussion is it <laughs> no but what i would be what i would be i mean i think it can be sort of interesting for other people to listen to who haven't made the switch yet that or maybe correct. just interested in what it's like so i'm i'm wondering yeah. um i mean my origin story I, i've told before probably even on on this show is that i was on a contact job i didn't bring it was sort of in the morning and, and i got up late or something like that or there was something with the kids that needed to be resolved i don't quite recall but i didn't have enough paper with me and then uh, I just had one pen I didn't have replacement or spare pens and sort of yeah I ran out of paper and the pen broke and I basically had to switch over to my iPad otherwise I would have had to sort of interrupt the whole session which wasn't really an option and that's how I did my first tablet interpreting session basically so I'm wondering I, I, I hope that in in your case it was a little bit more deliberate and sort of pre-planned but maybe we can just quickly tell our or origin stories there so what what about you Andrew I I think mine was definitely uh more intentional I'm trying to remember <laughs> how it, what gave me the idea originally it wasn't any sort of I guess crisis scenario like you're <laughs> that's good out. yeah that's not what you want Right. I just, it was, it was out of a desire, I think maybe number one to have a mostly paperless existence for my job. Mm -hmm. And then um, second of all, to just have to carry around less because when mm -hmm. I was going to appointments before I had my style down notebook, I have, I have a book for reading. I have different, um, I guess, what would you call them? Sort of intake forms to build the agencies, right? Mm -hmm. Carry all of that with me. 
I wanted to consolidate all of that. And the fact that I could use it for consec was just, you know, the cherry on top. And mm. uh, that was last, I guess, I think maybe November or October that I started. And I just, I haven't even looked back for a fraction of a second. I mean, <laughs> it's completely, it's, I mean, I don't mean to be too melodramatic, but it's completely changed how, how I, you know, do everything for work, not just the consecutive, but I mean, the billing, I never have my laptop anymore. I go on my laptop lesson once a month now. Ooh, so nice. For me, it's not about, you know, it's the whole, it's not like working, it's not working harder, it's working smarter and having uh. the tablet. <laughs> What's a computer? computer? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what is this? I mean, yeah. who even uses a laptop? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> As we're all recording on a laptop, I love it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, course. of course, you sometimes need it. But I mean, um, for me, it's just made everything so much slicker and I can spend much less time on things that I was spending more time on before because I had to do it all on paper. Yeah. So right. it's just about a kind of, I guess, making that process more efficient for me so I don't have to spend time like I did before. Yeah, completely agree. Just a quick note on the, on the laptop, though. I could technically do this on a uh, on a tablet so i'll probably do that next time just to prove a point but anyway what i maybe have <laughs> sound issues if i had done this on my tablet oh yeah who knows who knows yeah but what i wanted to say on the paperless stuff is is actually a good point because um i i used to have to carry around sort of old speeches in um because when i when i give speeches like practice purposes for colleagues or students or whatever um i usually uh prepare them with contact notes as well um so when i use the ipad i just have my entire archive of speeches with me all the time without having to schlep around notebooks and stuff and that's oh, that's yeah. something that i found really useful because sometimes you know uh, somebody will ask you you know are you free during the lunch break i'm trying to add a language the test is tomorrow can we just do a quick session or something like that and then it's really nice uh, to be able to say yes because you have all the speeches right there on your ipad that's nice exactly and glossaries yeah, absolutely. In dictionaries. I mean, you know, because I fly so much and travel, I don't want to have to bring one, two, three different paper dictionaries. Which sure. It's just yeah. very impractical. And so I have them all right there. And it's it's literally seconds away. I have them. I have my main dictionaries and links to glossaries on my dock. So yeah. if I'm in, in my notes doing consec and I need to look up something really quick, it takes probably five seconds. Very cool. Yeah. What about you, Alex? What When did you start? And why? And how? And... <laughs> <laughs> mine is a lot less glamorous and like a lot less um, professional than you guys i just saw the new ipad pro and i was like this I feel like is speed dating, awesome shit this is like the best thing i ever i have to have it it's and gadget like, lust hey say again G gadget lust yeah it was gadget lust total gadget lust and then yeah. i was like you know what if i do some consecutive assignments on this i can totally justify the expense it's and a then company expense it. after all so or yeah, business exactly. expense it's like a total write-off <laughs> yeah. plus the keyboard plus the pencil and whatever and so i got it oh, and it then it was like basically a treat yourself moment it <laughs> totally. was basically a treat yourself moment with the intention to use it for consecutive and then i actually plan on using it three times and those three consecutive jobs those first three consecutive jobs got turned to sim jobs and then i was like well great now i can't use it again but oh. i actually have used it now for consecutive quite a few times okay. and i really like it um i still do carry around at the moment i'm thinking i'm carrying around like four uh notepads with me just because every time you go into a booth the equipment providers give you like a free notepad and <sighs> i've in the past been in the booth and i've put the ipad in between me and the colleague you know so we can take notes on a note-taking mm -hmm. app you know just like mm -hmm. a regular notepad but no one's ever dared touch the ipad to like take notes when i'm interpreting so i feel like <laughs> 
on the colleagues part there's like a little personal. bit of a barrier yeah yeah like they just don't want to sure. use it i'm guess you know it's like a expensive piece of equipment and it's mine right. and they probably don't want to do anything so i feel like in the booth i haven't used it just as a notepad i still use it in the booth and it's great and it works perfectly fine but so for that reason i still carry around some notepads um but yeah i like consecutive on it i have to say yeah it's the same for me but i, I need to i need to ask you guys a question did you just start out on the job or did you do a little bit of practice beforehand because when i sort of do workshops and training with a tablet i always say you know you can use the tablet for consecutive this is how you do it But please, 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 please practice. Don't just take it on the job and, and you know, start out. Uh, but yeah, I can I can see your face, Alex G. There, you do realize that <laughs> you just you just jumped in at the deep end, right? I kind of did. I thought about it. Wow. In, I thought about it intellectually. So I thought no, I felt like I thought about <laughs> the workflow. And I, and I talked it. to you. No, and I talked to you about it because I was wondering. So for me, the biggest thing was. And Andrew, we even had a conversation about this on Twitter. I remember that too, um, about like what app you use for Consec and uh. then how do you do like the flip of the notepad? You know, like when you're done with one section right. with the notepad, you just flip it back and then you're started right. with a clean slate. Whereas on the iPad, if you do like, what's it called? Um, Good Notes. I think it is. I do um, notability. Notability. Oh, notability. That's, right. a, that's right. where it's at. Yeah, but Good Notes yeah. is, is nice too. So if you do notability, it's like one long sheet of paper of imaginary paper and then it was like so how do you find your where you started that particular uh, section and so on and so forth and so for me um i tried that not with the speech but like in hypothetical i just like scribbled some notes and i was like okay if i had to find it very quickly would i be able to and i've actually started uh, and i've told you alex you didn't really approve of the of the solution but i've started using um apple notes and for me it works <laughs> exactly like a proper notepad would because um, of the workflow that, that I use it with or in. And I've, I didn't practice it at home, but I, I tr uh, not with the speech again, I, I scribbled around and I was like, does this work for me? Okay, it does work. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's going into too much detail. If you guys want to know more about that, then I can tell you more. But We can yeah. go into like, detail uh, in a minute, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm mostly here as an evangelist for listeners to, to say anybody who's not using a, a tablet should consider it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes, it makes, it, it's time efficient. It makes your life easier and it makes your life better. And it's, it's up to my quality of life. It sounds like now some, it's like I'm on an infomercial or something. <laughs> no, but it's totally true. Yeah. It is true. It is true. And we should probably uh, point out that we we do not get any payments from any technology company for doing this episode That's or this segment. Not, but if they did want to we pay should. me, I'd That. Yeah, we totally should get <laughs> at least with some iTunes vouchers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so uh, did we did we, did we ask you, Andrew, how you how you got into it? Did you do any sort of pre planning or any, or were you just totally totally ready to start? I I, I think I did a little bit of, of testing around beforehand just to make sure it was it was smooth and I knew how to use the app. But right. you know, I, I maybe spent five or ten minutes on it before I took it to international right. appointment. Um, And because of this might be too much detail, but because of how notability works, mm -hmm. you have easy functions to be able to refer back to notes before. So I don't find it, I find it much easier than even flipping back through pages right. because the distraction in an appointment of flipping through pages for me is pretty significant, yeah. which is notability allowing you to flick to the beginning within, you know, one or two little touches. So yeah. for me, it was a very easy transition. There were no bumps. I've never had a technological failure. My iPad, yeah, even if I'm on it all day for eight hours, it, never goes below 50 percent 
Yeah, the battery life is just fine. That's true. Yeah, um, should we should we maybe talk about the hardware first? Because um, I think a, a stylus is a is an absolute prerequisite. So I oh, take yeah. I take it we all use sort of the Apple pencil, like the official yes. stylus, the official yeah. Apple pencil, which happens Magnet. to be yeah, it's 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 super expensive, but it's also I think the best if if you want to use it this is, for concept. Yeah, I think it's the yeah. best option. Yeah, absolutely. But Alex, I'm actually curious because you and your in your trainings and your webinars, like you tell people to like practice before it. But like, what do you what do you imagine? What would that practice look like for um, for you and your training? Like, what do you recommend people do before jumping in? Right. Yeah, I need to I need to give a shout out at this point to Josh Goldsmith, who's my partner in crime for this sort of tablet uh, interpreting stuff. And we've we've done a lot of webinars together, and we have a very 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 cool project coming up. So here's a little bit of a of a teaser. Teaser. <laughs> teaser. Um, yeah, and we usually recommend people practice a little bit, and that could be yeah. For example, if you um, if you go to a practice session with colleagues or with your fellow students, if you're at university, um, you can uh, you should of course prepare your speeches with concepts notes i think that's really best practice because it gives you the um, opportunity to practice your notes at the same time as you practice your speech making skills so i think that's one thing that you should do and then the, the easy step is to just ditch the paper and the pen and to do it on your tablet because um when you prepare a speech uh, you're not in the heat of the moment of a concept job you have time you know you can sort of reflect a little bit you can delete something try again and maybe find a better symbol um and you know you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be too nerdy or too detail obsessed about it but it's just sort of a, a, a safe space where you can test that out and, and practice it or maybe you can just do um um uh, not just the, the giving speeches but also when somebody gives a speech for you and and you practice your note-taking skills just do it on the tablet you know during one of those practice sessions when something goes wrong it's not really a big deal you start again or you, you do you know uh do another speech um just so you can get used to i think the whole sort of handling and feeling what is it like to to do that on a slab of glass i guess as opposed to right. a piece of paper because there are same, yeah, maybe we can get into that a little bit. Because there are things that are different. For example, there are these tricks that you learn when you when you do it on on a piece of paper. For example, the sort of uh, classic fold out cheat sheet that yes. you mentioned earlier, where you can sort of have some figures or names. You can't really do that on a tablet, but there are other ways of doing it. And then also finding the right app that suits sort of your mental model of what the workflow should be like. For example. Andrew and I, we both use Notability because it has this sort of endless scrolling, which I think we both like. Um, but I other people, yeah, might feel more comfortable with sort of the whole page turning um, metaphor, I guess. And there are yeah, different that, apps exactly. that cater to different tastes. So I think that's, that's, I think it makes a lot of sense to sort of explore that and sort of settle with what you like and what works for you before you try it on the, on the job. <laughs> can I ask you guys a really specific question about the iPad Pro with the Apple Pencil? Sure, we can Do always edit guys... it out. <laughs> yeah, sure. Do you guys use the Pencil double tap feature for the eraser? Oh, yes, this is a very specific question. I turned that off. I do not. I turned it off as well. I turned it off. I It had too many false positives, basically. Exactly. That yeah. happened to me a few times, and then it kind of annoyed me, but now I feel like... It just, I want to use it, but then it feels like I have to focus so much on not like changing the grip on the pencil to exactly. accidentally trigger a double tap that right. it yes. isn't really worth it. But I want to use it because it's good. Yeah, yeah but I okay. use it for I mean, other stuff. I mean, I use it for, for example, I use the iPad for editing 
this podcast and I do it right. with a pencil and there it has some features where you can use it or maybe for drawing where you're more right. uh, deliberate. But yeah, Andrew, you, yeah. you were going to say something. Oh, I was just saying I've never run across a moment where I wished I could use the double tap feature and it wasn't <laughs> on. You know, I just, it wasn't practical for me, but I understand that it's very useful for some some tasks. Yeah. I found it cumbersome too. Mm. Like it never did it when I needed it and then it did it when I didn't need it. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's kind yeah. Of like, yeah. But I'm just going to be, you know, that old fart for a minute um, because I, I still remember practicing some sort of contact uh, on an old iPad with one of these dumb styluses that didn't have sort of a Bluetooth connection mm. and stuff. And that was so tiresome. And um, I think the, the no first... No palm rejection. How could you? Exactly. Yeah. And then right. sort of the software tried to emulate that, but it didn't really work all that well. But um, now we finally have a, a setup where it, where it really works. And yeah, I... I just like that. I wanted to take a moment to appreciate that, I guess. To be fair, when I had my Surface tablet, I tried, I dabbled in consecutive um, on, um, what's it called? The the Purple Notes app that Microsoft has. Um, OneNote? Yes, OneNote. I tried to do consecutive on OneNote. And after like two seconds, I was like, this is not going to work. Mm. Or for me, at least, like this was never going to work. But then with the iPad, it just felt very... Um, Natural. It's just, natural. It's, 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 it is natural. Yeah, it That's is. It's more natural. For. Yeah. No, I mean, every time I look at OneNote, my head explodes. It's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not good for. Not for consecutive. consecutive. Yeah. No. Right. I think any listeners who are, are wondering what it's like should just, I mean, if possible, go to an Apple store and just write a little bit on the iPads and see how. Yeah. It goes. Totally. Think, you have that option available to you if you have an Apple store close by and. You don't have to wonder what it might be like. You can right. figure it out. And, and actually, I think that Notability is even part of the sort of the demo software that they have on iPads. I think Notability is actually in there. So you can even try that that particular app, which is great. Or Apple Notes, which some people also use for consecutive. Yeah, that's fine. No, You're not, not you know, judging to, anyone. <laughs> no, but to be fair, I actually have to say that um, I had some troubles in the beginning with writing on the iPad because it is basically a piece of glass, a slab of glass. Mm. And I felt it was quite strange. Um, also coming from the surface because the surface pen has different tips, which change the friction on the surface. Mm. So you could be like completely smooth or you can have like a lot of friction and it would feel a little bit more like paper. Mm-hmm. On the iPad, it was completely smooth because the it's like a hard plastic tip for the Apple Pencil, and then obviously it's on glass. So that really took me a while to get comfortable writing on, I have to right. say. So, yeah, so that was like a little bit of a, not a learning curve, but just to get used to it. And now it's it right. feels like second nature. That's what I meant. It yeah, just, it's just different. Yeah. You need to get used to it. Exa- yeah. yeah, it's just different. Yeah. Has then has uh, have you tried out any of those sort of screen protectors like the uh, I think one's called like the paper like that tries mm. to sort of emulate a rougher surface or anything like that because I, I, I didn't really like that. You have Andrew, you have you said you have. I do. I have like a it uh, it creates for like a matte um, cover, so it doesn't it's uh-huh. um, an, it's anti glare, I guess is what it's called, and it also makes the the writing feel it's. I don't know if it's the one that makes it feel paper-like because they have those ones for those artists yes. to try to replicate the feeling of paper. It does change the feel of it. It's not as like a, like slick, I guess, as if writing directly on the glass. You have a little bit of that, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, that separating that separating layer, but it doesn't affect the the reaction time or anything like that. It's just as right. easy as before. So, and 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 again, there. Um, what's what's sort of the the 
the situation that you use the iPad in? Is it, do you sometimes use it standing up? Because uh, Andrew, you said sometimes you you're going on location, quote unquote, location, uh, into these mm -hmm. facilities. Um, do you find yourself standing up? Is, is is that an issue with the iPad? Because my contact is usually sort of sitting down at a at a conference table, which is quite comfortable. So. So luckily, I am usually sat down um, okay. in detained facilities without a courtroom. I am usually just sat down at a chair without a desk. So I have it on my lap in front of me mm. um, in medical settings, which I don't do so much these days. I, I do usually stand up, but it's never been a problem for me. I have the 11 inch one and I find it very comfortable to hold in my hand and write at the yeah. same time. Yeah. So I've never I've never thought, oh, I wish this were ergonomically different because it's uncomfortable it's always been perfectly fine mm. now because sometimes there are these uh sort of specific cases and some of them even come with sort of a loop where you can put your hand in i think that's like intended for engineers who go on sites and and uh, oh wow but I've, i've never tried it myself I'm, and i'm wondering if that's really necessary I, i actually have the same experience that that you have andrew um that it's, yeah, it's never, perfectly i've never thought something like that would be right. necessary you can understand how some people would find it useful yeah Do you guys use it with a case? Because I found when I don't use it with a case and I put it on the table, sometimes it's a little slippery because my hand starts like pushing it. So I do have like a folio case around it with mm -hmm. like fake leather. So I find that helpful when it's on a table. When it's not on a table, when you're holding it in your hand, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. But Right. I use the folio, um, the key, key, what's it called? The keyboard folio, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's keyboard folio. And then folio, I have it in a, on a sleeve as well, like a, a carrying case. Um, yeah. A, well, yeah, it's, um, what's it called? It's called Pack and Smooch, which is actually a, a German <laughs> brand. How cute. Love it. Shout out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, it is a little bit slippery depending on the surface it's on. But wow, we're getting into a lot of detail, a lot of nerd detail now. Yeah. But uh, the I know, right? With the slickness a little bit, but. I, I like the extra protection as well because it is it is so thin. I mean, it's thinner than the iPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, which is totally crazy. That's right. Yeah. That's crazy. But I have to say that it's really nice if you do some consecutive, because some of my jobs were actually like walking around, um, you know, on location when you're doing interviews or whatever, or you're standing up somewhere. And I've always found the notepads to be quite cumbersome. So I actually had this like leather little well, folio. Mm. thing where i had the notepads in so they would have some added stability so i could actually take the oh, notes yeah that um, makes sense. with the ipad it's really nice because you just hold it in the hand it doesn't flop around so it's actually that is an actual advantage over a notepad i found of i've found because it's quite rigid yeah and yeah, yeah totally absolutely uh-huh so maybe to to round this off um did you uh, you mentioned that earlier alex that you you tried using the ipad sort of as a as a notepad in the in the booth during simultaneous which didn't really work out but it's the same for me actually in the booth i i usually just use it as a reference tool to look at my documents and you maybe maybe do a quick web search or you know check something in a glossary um and and the and the whole sort of using it as a notepad hasn't really taken off for some reason yeah no yeah But do you then still have a traditional notepad in the booth for simultaneous or how does that look? Yeah, I do. I don't, but we usually have sort of a few, uh, a few sheets of paper in the booth that I sometimes use, mostly don't use. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mostly right. don't use. I have right. this paper yeah. allergy, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, when the client gives it to you, you just kind of 
take it and run with it. But yeah. But it's it's great that you mentioned client because that reminded me of a question that I did want to ask you is is the whole and Josh actually looked looked at this during one of his uh, research projects is the whole perception by the clients. I mean, how do your client do? Do they do they even care? Do they take note? Do they comment on it? Does it make you look modern, professional? Is there anything <laughs> that you have? sort of taken away from your clients and their reactions to you using the iPad? For me, it's very uh, it's very quick. Nobody ever cares. Nobody ever notices. <laughs> That's about it. Maybe once or twice, but it's been almost nothing. So I'm wondering mm. if, what it's like for you guys. I've never had the comment on it. Um, I've had a lot of people be like, oh, wow, I've never seen an, an interpreter use an iPad before. And then some judges think it's very like technologically advanced, very easy. <laughs> I'll be like, wow, because sometimes I'll give it to the judge in, in state court to to sign the invoice or whatever the case is, or not. Oh, that's like so a, cool! A, a timesheet. Cool. So I'll, I'll hand them the iPad because nice. I use um, what's it called? I use Adobe Infill. Right. Yes. Yes. I think it's the app is called. So I that's give it. my pen and literally just sign as if it were normal paper, and they can see the whole form in front of them. I, I feel like it's there. There's high visibility, right? So they know exactly what they're signing. Um, and in those contexts, they've always commented. I've never had anybody make some sort of adverse comment about about privacy or about distractions or anything like that. It's, it's either been anywhere from from neutral to positive comments. But I, I am sometimes worried that it looks like perception of oh, anything could be done on this iPad. You know, doing you know media, whatever the case is. I don't want to give you know, the distracted interpreter. But for me, pros outweigh the cons where i am willing to uh i guess educate people to let them know hey this is really helping me do my job better because this isn't me so that's how i approach it yeah so um i don't actually think ever is anyone's ever formed like a solid opinion about me using an ipad i do think in that Uh, board call that I mentioned, one of the board members has the old iPad Pro. So I think the first time that I came in there, he was like, looking at me a little sideways. And I was like, <laughs> and I think he didn't really appreciate it. But that's, I think that might just all be in my head. And I just kind of enjoyed that moment. Um, yeah, I get it, though. <laughs> yeah, but like, nobody's ever said anything. But Andrew, I get what you're saying. Sometimes clients, um, especially if you know, we're in a booth and then like, while well, I'm not interpreting and it's a relatively easy conference. Like I might have put on angry birds when it's not my shift <laughs> and sure. you know, like, or the technician has seen it and whatever. And then you kind of um, have like this funny little exchange about whatever you're doing in the iPad, but then it's kind of like, well, you know, you can also do all of these things on a computer. So it's really not that different. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, I actually had one colleague who was super impressed by it because she, um, after the conference, after the entire day was done, she said that, um, she asked me what kind of a tablet it was. And I was like, well, it's an iPad. And she's like, oh, I hate Apple, but I really want something exactly like this because I think this is the future. <laughs> Too bad. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't oh, really like no. Apple, but this was really great. So maybe you should right. give it a try. And yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. That's funny. I offered her some, some free consultation on everything but we'll maybe see. we need a trouble terps episode about troublesome terps episode about like you know android versus apple debate sort of thing. oh no that, that is way too troublesome i cannot get into this very <laughs> <controversial>. <laughs> it <ended> bloodshed. yeah <laughs> we actually set up oh quite well God. for that alex aren't we because we we use both platforms sort of interchangeably 
Yeah, both Android and do you know actually you even use all three of them. You have a Windows. Exactly. Do you remember your the very first um, episode that you and I ever did together was for Lang FM, and back then I had an Android phone, an old iPad, and a Windows laptop, and we were both laughing at that, and we said, "Well, it's not really working out for me because it was quite difficult back then." But now that everything is in the cloud, everything is synced, anyways. Like it's just so seamless. It's just not even an issue anymore, and it just made me laugh. That's true. I mean, I consider like I had my. My dad started buying Apple products in the late 80s. And so we always had, you know, iMacs and whatever the case was growing up. So for me, it's like, I always explain it as like, Apple is like my native language. I do not, <laughs> think it, I do, I do not I believe it that. is native, you know, superior or inferior to any other language in the world. There are lots of languages, but it's just the one I grew up on and I feel comfortable and it's safe and it's cozy. Uh. And so I'm not like an Apple evangelist, but it's like, I've never had anything different and it works so well. Why should I change? I mean, it's just, you know. It's, oh, you it's just completely nice. made my day, Andrew. I think nobody has ever put it quite so well. <laughs> That's actually a really nice metaphor, yeah. I mean, it's true. I didn't, I don't, it's just always how it's been for me. So I see no reason to change. And I understand the pros and cons on both sides. Of course. But I was raised, I was literally raised on Apple. So yeah. yeah. Why, why learn another language? Exactly. And, and I, you know, like, as Alex knows very well, never change a running system. Right, Alex? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. Um, <laughs> different question. <laughs> no, but what I, what I was going to say is um, that I, I did try a few um, Android tablets. And while they're okay and they have their, sort of their own advantages, I, I never would have felt comfortable enough to use them uh, for a consecutive job. Whereas with the iPad... I tried it, uh, and I said, "This is absolutely no big deal. I can, I can use this. No worries at all." But on that note, Alex, because you also have a new phone, you've got the Samsung Note phone. Um, a colleague of mine from London actually way back when started buying Samsung Notes, and then he actually sold his tablet, he sold his laptop, and started doing everything on the Samsung Notes. So I don't know how that went, but he did it. And he also did uh, in a consecutive interpreting jobs on the Samsung Note because it also has the built-in stylus, which might actually be a bit neater than the iPad because it's like pull out so you can't lose it accidentally so it's just like in there um but that's a discussion for a different day but he did all of that on the phone so it's also an option yeah, neat yeah yeah it's quite neat i i was quite impressed i think it's a little bit too small for me but mm. yeah but then he also had a really tiny notepad with it <laughs> so you know so and he had a very cool holographic bluetooth keyboard very space age. <laughs> that was super cool. A holographic uh, keyboard. Okay. Yeah, very, very, very space age. Beautiful. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm really yeah. wondering if, if we have given people ideas now or if, if people are thinking, I just don't get it. This whole separate <laughs> interpreting stuff. What are they talking about? So right. we're, uh, yeah. we're going to see what the feedback is like. But um, but just one more thing before we wrap things up, because we actually just had this the other day on Twitter. If you get an iPad and if you intend to use it for anything else, then pure consecutive jobs. If you intend to use it in the booth, um, mm. do a little bit of research, probably do like a few of Alex's trainings on what apps you should use on the adapters you need. Uh, you know, especially with iPadOS coming up, you can totally plug in a USB stick, but you will need an adapter. So all of those things are things to consider, but it's now totally an option. So here we go. Yeah. Amen. Great. Well, it's it's been fantastic to have you on this episode, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's been really fun. It's been nice <laughs> meeting you guys virtually and also you know nerding out with you and, and thanks for the invite i really appreciate it it's been really cool yeah it's been a lot of fun yeah, and, it was awesome. and i hope it's uh it's useful for 
others, not just the tablet interpreting stuff, but also um, sort of the, the discussion around consecutive that we had. Because I feel like sometimes it gets a bit rap, you know, and it's yeah. getting used less and yeah. less, at least in, in sort of the conference interpreting field. So I feel like we should sort of stand up for consecutive, you know, team team consec represent. Definitely. And also <laughs> yeah. just so people know that if they find consecutive terrifying and, and horrible and the worst thing that's ever happened to them, they are not alone. Exactly. There is support. Yeah. yeah. Everyone finds horrible <laughs> and terrifying. Maybe, maybe we should open like a, a support group for a... For yeah. Consec, for people who hate Consec but also totally love Consec, the Consecutives yeah, yeah. Anonymous, yeah, yeah. No, can, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Consecutives Anonymous. I mean, <laughs> when, when, when you deliver a really good Consec, I mean, it's like magic. I mean, I yes. right? On, it's it's I'm the on best. Cloud nine, and there yeah. is no greater high than this. No, no drug could beat this. Absolutely. And you know, also, no client will ever get as impressed by any simultaneous rendition as they will with a flawless consecutive rendition Absolutely. because they will see what you're doing there and they will already have forgotten the entire speech and then you deliver it into flawless Spanish and they're just floored. Yeah, so, I love that. That's, yeah. that's one of the most beautiful moments. And the thing True. is also that people sometimes talk about flow in interpreting and I think the closest I've ever gotten to flow was probably doing consecutive and not simultaneous. Oh, wow. So there you mm. go. That's a controversial statement. <laughs> that is, I definitely feel the flow more for simultaneous, but I, I think it's because I'm in that that Zen zone much more often. Yeah. Okay. Quite strong, so I'm not in a state of like constant panic like I am with consecutive. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And no one when so no one when you're doing consecutive when you're doing simultaneous, no one says yes, that's correct or no, that's wrong because they don't know. So they. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah. And on that happy note, we'll close out this episode. Yes, we will. Shout out to Jonathan. We hope you're back on the show. In fact, I know he's back for the next episode because we're recording with tomorrow. Um, again, thanks to Andrew. Thanks to... Yes. Sorry, sorry to have missed Jonathan. Yeah. We'll catch up another time. That's fine. I guess that's it. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. We can all say bye. Usually I cut in the bye at the end. So we just say bye. Bye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Cool. Very nice. That's awesome.